I'm Wendy Petrie and today I have the privilege of chatting to Lewis Clairbird, a champion of New Zealand swimming holding numerous national records, a 2018 Commonwealth Games medalist, 2019 World Championship medalist and added to his accolades this year he became an Olympic swimmer at the Tokyo Olympics achieving top 10 placings. Not only that, he became a TikTok sensation racking up millions of views for his epic posts behind the scenes of the Olympics. A big welcome to you Lewis Clearbert. Hi Lewis. Hello, thank you very much for having me. You are welcome. Well first of all coming back from the Olympics and back to life in Wellington after what must have been a huge high, what's that readjustment been like? Yeah it was a little bit weird and I think um, compared to probably previous Olympics where athletes were coming home um, you know, it was a little bit different for us. Obviously we had to sit in a hotel for two weeks and then um, obviously we, or we came out a lot out of MIQ and then I had a day of freedom and pretty much went straight back into the nationwide lockdown so it was a little bit weird and I think um, that readjusting was quite difficult because obviously we're surrounded by all these people and then suddenly we're surrounded by no one so I think it was difficult to I guess for, for all of us mentally to find that I guess enjoyment um, coming back home and finding you know that rhythm that we you know, didn't really have. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really tough. What did you do to get through those two weeks? Um, well, the biggest thing was I actually was playing PlayStation with a lot of the boys. Um, I was playing, um, I reckon, at least six or seven hours a day while I was in <laughs> hotel quarantine. And then, obviously, we didn't realise that when we came out of hotel quarantine that we'd be going into level four lockdown. So, um I used up pretty much all my PlayStation time that I could handle because by the end of MIQ, I was sick of PlayStation. So for the next sort of three or four weeks, I had to figure out something else to um, <laughs> keep me <laughs> keep me entertained. <laughs> That's so funny. Talk us through Tokyo overall, what that experience was like. You know, this is the Olympics. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect going in. Um, in terms of how big it was going to be and I sort of tried to treat it as every other competition that I have ever been into um, but obviously it's pretty tough and um, you know there's obviously so many distractions you're just walking around the village and there's incredible athletes all around you that you, you see on tv sort of every day um, and then to have them you know sitting next to you at the food hall or um, you know especially in the team New Zealand area because that's where all the New Zealand athletes are um, just making chat with them and, and seeing what they're up to. And I think it was quite funny because there was a few memes that came out um, of elevator lift chats. And it was, um, it was quite funny because it was the same chat every single time it was like, Oh, when are you next competing and um, how are you going sort of thing? And it would be the same sort of every time you hopped in the elevator. <laughs> Cause you did, that's all you sort of talked about when you're in the village. Um, but yeah, like we had an awesome time um, and it's so hard to explain like every little part of the like Olympics um, specifically, but like overall, like it was such an awesome experience for sure. Yeah. What about, because the Olympic Village sounds amazing where you were staying. Were the beds actually cardboard? Seriously? <laughs> yeah, well, they were, the base was cardboard. So it was pretty good. Like um, we, we found it all good. Like, um I guess it was for 
so they could recycle them or something. But um, so it was it was quite strong. I think a few of the guys tried breaking them, and I think <laughs> a few, probably a few people probably succeeded. Um, but yeah, it was just the mattress. I think was was a little, it was quite interesting because it was sort of split up into three different parts, and there was a soft side and a hard side. Um, and I think that's what uh, <laughs> blew blew me up on TikTok on one of those videos about the beds (laughs) yeah that was funny and let's talk about the build up to your races you know you were staying in this completely different environment that you're not used to you're probably eating different food what was it like for a day for you talk us through what you ate what you how you slept what training was like you know what what did you do every day yeah so it was quite a quick turnaround from when we landed um to when we started racing so I was on the first day of competition so we had sort of three or four days to actually get into a routine which was quite tough because it's such a busy environment obviously that you know you're trying to find your feet in three days is quite difficult so I guess we would wake up in the morning and walk down to the food hall uh it was just across the road from our our accommodation so we were in a pretty sweet spot uh New Zealand had set us up with so we just walk across uh it would take us a few times to actually find what we wanted to eat because it was so much good food so you'd probably end up walking like a, probably like a kilometer just around this, this food hall because it was two levels. Um, and we'd usually go to the top level and find what we wanted to eat. You'd walk up, you'd have to put on some plastic gloves um, and grab like a, a, a plastic tray, <laughs> which was quite interesting. And then you go and you'd sort of just point at the person to say which, what you wanted because they didn't really speak English. Um, and yeah, we'd have food and then we'd usually go straight off to the the pool, which was sort of like a 20 minute bus ride. So you sort of get to sit there and listen to music um, for 20 minutes, just sort of twiddling your fingers while you could. Um, and then you'd go to the pool, do your training session, come back, and then it would be sort of recovery time for the rest of the day because it sort of was quite a long day because you'd obviously the only thing you're there for was to race and compete. So you'd swim in the morning, rest during the day and then swim at night um and we sort of got into a pretty good routine i guess throughout the the week but that was sort of like our day it was it was pretty chilled to be honest apart from the races they're probably not quite so chilled (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah race day was definitely definitely difficult for sure i think especially um the way that they did it this year was because you would your heat would be at night um so you would have to wait all day sort of brewing on the nerves just to race you know at 7 p.m or 8 p.m at night so you'd, you'd have all those nerves brewing throughout the day um, whereas normally you'd wake up and you'd go straight racing straight away um, and then you'd race the final at night so it'd be, it'd be quite a short day so it was it was a little bit weird doing it the other way around for sure yeah really weird and then I guess once you've swum that you know you swam amazing amazingly well in those heats and then you have to somehow go to sleep and then wake up and do the final yeah that was probably the hardest thing for me um trying to get to sleep and I know Erica was the same she um after especially after her 400 freestyle heat um she she came back and it was pretty late like 11 11 p.m she was only able to get home um and then had to get up that next morning and she she walked in our door that next morning and was it was like a it was so funny because she was so excited but you could see that she was um, you know, a little bit tired from not having much sleep. Um, 
but yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. <laughs> Do you learn to cope with the lack of sleep and the adrenaline and the nerves? I mean, you've been doing it for a few years now. Do you get to cope through those sorts of situations? Yeah, I heard a psychologist tell me, or a psychologist told me a few years ago, I think it was at Commonwealth Games, and they said one bad sleep doesn't matter or even two bad sleeps don't really matter. It's like when you get on to three or four days of not having, you know, great sleep. So I was quite comfortable with knowing that if I didn't have a great sleep on that one night, then I would still be able to perform the next day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite difficult, definitely having to get to sleep. I think I found myself actually watching random YouTube videos at night um, especially after my 400, 400 a.m. heat to, to try sort of bring myself back down to reality and, um, yeah, try to get myself to sleep, which worked for me. What's your race prep like? What do you do just before a, a big race? Yeah, so I have a, I guess, like a sort of a, like a timetable that I, I stick to. So I work back from the, the time I sort of have to get on the blocks and race. Um, and it's sort of like work, so I, before that I put my race suit on and then before that I do my 45 minutes or an hour swimming warm-up and then um, I do a half an hour stretching before that so my prehab sort of stuff to get my body ready um, and then we sort of turn up to the pool around two hours before we get um, before or two hours before we race so we sort of have a little bit of flexibility just in case say we the bus breaks down or something that wouldn't usually happen happens so we have a bit of leeway just to make sure of anything that pops out of the blue but um so we sort of sit around for a couple minutes before we have to do anything um like stretch after we get off the bus <laughs> and do you listen to music or do you have anything you do that's that you like your good luck charm or is there anything you have that really helps you out in these situations yeah so i think um i mean i get nervous so that's you know everyone gets nervous so I, but i think for me, when I get into my routine, like listening to music and doing my stretching and stuff, it sort of distracts me from the nerves. Um, and so, yeah, like I listen to music. I have um, just generally having people around me just doing normal chit chatter. Not anything about swimming is quite nice. Um, if people are there talking to me about swimming, it usually gets into my head. Well, I don't know if it gets into my head, but it... Um, makes me think about stuff too much and I overthink swimming um I quite I'm quite a basic person I think um I mean I need a timetable for everything but generally I like to keep it quite simple yeah that's right so I guess if someone was beside you talking non-stop about swimming you think actually I just need to walk away I don't need I don't really need that right now I know that's not how I operate yeah yeah definitely yeah. and I usually just throw my headphones in or something and yeah I get the message <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally I mean and also now you look back on those races you had some amazing swims I mean what how do you feel overall it went for you because we were just loved watching you back home it was an incredible race to watch and so did you did amazing PB in that first heat yeah I mean it's actually tough to reflect on it um because I was so happy about my heat and I thought I had so much left in the tank um and then obviously going into the final, it was a completely different story. Um, but I think generally now, um, you know, I'm content and happy with what I was able to produce. But at the time, it took me a while to sort of understand the, the scale of, of what had happened. And yeah, I guess it's tough that 
when you go into an event uh, knowing you know the times that you want to achieve or the splits that you want to achieve and not being able to sort of produce them when you want to um, you know it's hard and obviously athlete you're always tough on yourself um, when you reflect on things but yeah generally I think now looking back on it after sort of a month and a half um, you know I'm happy with my my especially my first race um, and then obviously not getting what I wanted in that in that final but then also being able to get up after I had a pretty crappy few days after that four IM final um, but I still knew I had that other event the 200 medley to, to get up for so um, I got a few messages I got a message from um, Moss I think it was Moss Burmester and he said that he did his 200 butterfly final in, uh, in Beijing 2008 and his biggest regret um, on that Olympic campaign was he didn't let himself um, or give himself a good opportunity to swim the 100 butterfly fast, which was a, a few days later. And he told me that, um, you know, you just got to get over it and make sure that going into that 200 AM or that next race, you're ready to go and you take advantage of it um, and don't just throw it away. So I think that was probably the one of the biggest things I was proud of, proud of myself for was overcoming something that I wasn't happy with. And I guess you can say not proud of, but I'm, I'm proud of it now. Um, and then going into that 200 AM and, and sort of surprising myself and doing PBs, a PB in the heat, um, and then somehow making the final. Yeah, that was incredible. I mean, I, I know, you know, you beat yourself up and you look at back at the races and think, oh, if only, if only, but you did do so well and you should be so proud. But as a swimmer, we always, you must be always thinking about, you know, the time and the PB you did. And, and in a way, you have to learn to put, whatever happened in that last race aside and think about that next thing as you say how did you do that what what advice did Moss give you what did you do to just to, to not think about that last race yeah it was tough and um I think having sort of Zach um as my roommate and the rest of the team sort of around me was quite good because obviously they weren't in the same they didn't have the same feelings as me it was my race and so being able to surround myself with the rest of the team and how they were all, you know, they, they got over my race pretty quick. You know, they didn't really <laughs> care. So I sort of just, I think, surrounded myself with other people that didn't care about anything. Um, they were just happy to be there. Um, they had their own goals. And I sort of just tried following along with them. And whether they know it or not, that I think they supported me quite a lot. Um, you know, Gary was, my coach was, Obviously, he was pretty upset for me as well. So um, we sort of just tried to turn it around and, and get back on the horse. Um, we we sort of only swam once a day. So we had, I think I had two spare days of, of doing nothing in between my 400 AM and 200 AM. We only swam once a day um, and we tried keeping it super simple and just chill, making sure that, you know, I knew I was fit enough um, that I didn't have to do too much. Um, but I didn't want to do any hard sets in between because I knew I probably wouldn't mentally be able to finish them. Um, so I, we just kept it simple and surrounded myself with some pretty awesome people that were there to support me, especially from the, also from the um, New Zealand Olympic committee. Um, you know, it was awesome just having their, their support. Yeah. We were definitely all supporting you back here too. It sounds like the Kiwi spirit was really alive and well. Do you think that like, I mean, I think that's really important going into an Olympics. You want to have a great people around you and a great culture. Do you think that's what we had there? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think 
even from previous um, the Commonwealth Games, our team spirit was was like super close. And that was probably because of COVID, to be honest, because usually you'd be able to leave the village and go, you know, sightseeing and stuff like that. But this year we weren't able to do that. So if you had free time, you would probably be downstairs in the sort of the H New Zealand team HQ area watching and supporting other athletes. And then when athletes returned that had medals, um, you'd welcome them home with the haka. Um, so it was it was pretty cool. And I think it definitely made that team super close together and the culture really strong for sure. How was it not having crowds and not having your family there? Yeah, it was interesting because the last, I guess for me, the last few competitions I've had, uh, my family have traveled along with me and seeing them up in the stands or hearing them in the stands is, is quite cool and knowing that they're, you know, they're there to watch you. And to not have that was, yeah, a little bit weird and you felt um, a little bit alone when you were like going and racing. But I think it also, having no crowds meant that there was more room for athletes to get up on the stands and, and support. So a lot of the countries had this, the rest of their swim teams up in the, in the stands and they actually filled up quite a fair bit of the, of the stadium. It was a huge stadium. So they were no, I mean, they were nowhere near filling it up, but one of the stands was pretty packed and it was, it was actually pretty, a pretty nice atmosphere that we had in the, in the, in the pool, especially for the finals, you know, Great. And so what would you do differently next time? If you, you know, looking ahead, Paris 2024, is there anything you think, oh, I definitely will do that next time or not do that that next time? Yeah. I mean, I'm still trying to reflect on that, on the little things um, that I would do. I know one tiny little thing that I would do differently is actually bring a little uh, carry on suitcase with the four, the roller wheels. Um, because you do, a lot of walking in the village from the buses to, to the food hall. And when you're carrying your swim bag around on your back, it's actually, it actually gets quite heavy. And we usually have a lot of, a lot of kit when we're, when we're going to race, we have our, our sort of podium walkout kit and a few pairs of racing togs and a few towels and stuff like that. So it does get quite heavy. So I think one of the tiny little things that I would change is I would buy a, a little mini roller bag to, to, to scoot around on <laughs> definitely I mean you don't want any more pressure on your shoulders than you need to have do you all right that yeah. sounds awesome well, well done on the Olympic side let's talk about big picture and like go back to you know when you began swimming when when did you start swimming I started competing when I was eight years old but I think mum and dad threw me in the water when I was like three or something right <laughs> and was your yeah. sister a swimmer Yes, yeah, so I've got two sisters um, and they were both into swimming. Ali, my older sister, was a medley swimmer as well. So she was pretty, she was sort of, when I was watching swimming, she would be doing her IMs and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I want to be able to do that. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And so then was there any ever a point where you went, well, actually, I'm quite good at this. I actually think I'm quite good at this. Did you ever think, hmm, I better stick at this? Or how, how did that all happen? Um. Yeah, I never actually sort of looked at myself and th thought, you know, I can actually do this. Um, back in 2016, when I made my first ever sort of New Zealand junior team, it was the Junior Pampax. And it was like the pinnacle for that year. Usually, I think a lot of the guys, these 
these days they go to um, the Aussie States short course competition to sort of warm up into international competition. Um, and I was, I never qualified for those that were that little competition. And so I went straight thrown in, got thrown into the deep end and went to um, Hawaii, which was a pretty sweet location for our first ever international competition. And there was the likes of like America, Japan, the Aussies, they all send their top, top teams. And I got absolutely smoked and I was like, well, <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. So I got sort of exposed to the best junior, you know, swimmers in the world. And I sort of looked at myself and I thought, you know, I, I want to come to these competitions and I want to be competitive and I, I don't want to just come. I just, I don't want to just be a competitor. And so I guess that was the moment for me that I was like, yeah, I, I I sort of thought to myself, I want to be able to compete on the world stage. And that was, yeah, that was my moment to, not that I thought I could do it, but I thought I wanted to do it and I wanted to, to be the best sort of thing. And then from then on, did you train harder? Did you, did you tell your coach or how did it evolve from there? Yeah, so I sat down with my coach, Gary, and I pretty much said my goals. And I was like, look, this is what I want to do. And um, he'd actually only just started coaching me at that point and back in 2016 and he was like sweet like that's exactly what I want to do as well so he was like I want to go to the Olympics and I want to you know be competitive I want you to be competitive on the world stage he'd never been to an Olympics before um, so he sort of just had to back himself as well and yeah that's sort of um, that's how the dream sort of sparked and we sort of he pretty much laid laid out the rules for me that what I had to do in training and um I followed most of them and probably didn't do a few of them but um yeah for the for the most part I just listened to Gary on what he had to say because he was the I guess the professor at that point and I had really no idea about anything swimming so he still he still knows more than me and I still have to listen to him but (laughs) Of course. How do you, how important do you think that goal setting is? Because a lot of the kids, the younger kids get told to set their goals at the start of the year. How important looking back for you, do you think that making those goals and looking at them every day, like we hear Michael Phelps did, how important is that? Yeah, well, like, I guess that's, that's your motivation. Um, that's what gets me up every morning. That's what gets me into the pool every day, knowing that, you know, I want to achieve this. And if I didn't have that, um, you know, I don't think I would be getting in the pool every day. It's like at the moment, I've just come off, um, you know, the, the my Olympic campaign and I'm trying to reset and, re, you know, trying to find those goals again. And um, we can't really swim at the moment properly, but, you know, I don't really have that motivation, that spark to actually get in the water and train properly. Um, and I think once I get those goals and I write them down or, even just have them in my head um, that'll get me back in the water and that will, you know, spark my fire again and, and make me happy to, to train hard and, and put everything I have into it. Cause absolutely. And when you say train hard, I mean, swimmers train so hard. You, know, you guys are training morning and night. You're doing weights in the gym. You're doing dry land. You're swimming crazy hours. I mean, how hard is that? It, it must be a point where you, that pain, it hurts, right? How, what keeps you going? I mean, there must be ups and downs. Yeah, I mean it's a roller coaster for sure, and I think um, 
every athlete knows that it's not always going to be the greatest of times. You know, sometimes I wake up in the morning and the last thing I want to do is actually go to the pool or go to the gym. Um, but I think, you know, having surround, surrounding yourself with like-minded people, um, because swimming is hard and everyone knows that. <laughs> and it's probably one of the sports, or it's probably one of the reasons why it's not the biggest sport in the world, because you actually have to be committed and missing a session is like probably what well, it's not the end of the world, but it's, it means that someone else is two hours ahead of you and training. And, you know, that's two hours of swimming that you haven't done. So I think as a swimmer, you have to accept that it's going to be a grind. And I always say you have to respect the grind and understand what is, what you need to do. And, just enjoy it <laughs> respect the grind I like it and was there ever a point where you just did want to give up or you were at that point where like I just you know I, I can't do this anymore I want to go and just have a normal life yeah all the time <laughs> <laughs> good mean, it's yeah, good it's, to know it's like you're a real person <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's a roller coaster you go through some pretty awesome highs and then some pretty crazy lows but when I was younger I, I wasn't very competitive um in New Zealand and I didn't enjoy swimming at all to be honest um so I went through a stage I think I was pretty young like I was only like 14 and I sort of moved more towards surf fly saving and tried giving you know poking a finger in that and trying to um have a bit of fun because surf is quite fun and quite a community spirit and then yeah, I guess for me it was, I found that, I found that fire again and enjoyed surf fly saving and I could translate that back to the pool. I surrounded, I surrounded myself with friends and then sort of just started to enjoy swimming again. And um, as I started to enjoy it, that's when I got faster and I won my first national title, I think when I was 15 or 16 um, or age group title. And I sort of just started to enjoy it. And then once I enjoyed it, that's when I sort of kicked off. So what would you say if you had like a young swimmer that said to you, Lewis, help me. I want to be just like you. They're like maybe 16, 17. What would you say to a younger swimmer, male or female? What would be the, something you could tell them, some advice? Yeah, I, I sort of try to stray away from um, saying the generic stuff when people ask me this. But um, I think generally if you're having fun, you're working hard and especially the end of schooling, um, if you're doing everything you can or every decision that you make is based on your swimming, um, especially if you want to be the best, whether that's a life choice, um, an everyday choice on say maybe what you're eating um, or what you're drinking, if it's all of those decisions are made about um, I guess that we call them performance decisions. And if that decision is made, if, 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 you, if you're going to make a decision, if it, it's hard to explain. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if that decision is going to make you better at swimming, then do it. But if it's not going to make that, not going to make you better at swimming, then maybe you shouldn't do it. There's always going to be things that, you know, you have your um, guilty pleasures that you want to do, um, but you try to limit those and you try just make those small decisions that, you know, are going to make you a better swimmer for sure. 
Yeah, it's hard to get that balance, isn't it? Especially when you're a teenager, you've got to have that, you know, work hard, but have a little bit of fun as well. But as you say, I think enjoying it is a big, big part of it. Speaking of enjoying it, the tic- let's talk about TikTok. I mean, you became a TikTok sensation. You had a million views at one point. Were you surprised by how that took off? Yeah, I mean, I had no idea what to expect, to be honest, going in. Um, I really just wanted to show the world about the beds because um, <laughs> there were so many videos going around how bad they were and people were you know saying that they were bad or I don't know whatever and I sort of just wanted to crush them and so I made a few videos about them and then they sort of blew up but my sort of thinking was um, when I was watching the Olympics when I was younger even Rio um, we never really got to see what happened at the Olympics you got to see from the media's perspective and you know what they thought of it um, from the outside but you never really got to see actually what's what it's actually like on the inside and so that's exactly what I wanted to see when I was a kid or watching the Olympics and so I think I thought I had a pretty good opportunity to to show the world what it was actually like and what we what we go through on a day-to-day basis at the Olympics and that was pretty much what I did and I think you know people genuinely enjoyed having that inside scoop and seeing what was what was what it was all about yeah and did it help you as well keeping you relaxed before a race or was it sort of kind of beneficial for you as well yeah for sure I mean I posted I think well, one of my videos blew up right before I had uh, like a media conference sort of thing and it was quite nice because I walked in and they hardly asked me any questions about swimming. It was all about TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like a distraction away from the pool. And it allowed people to have something else to talk about apart from just swimming. Yeah. And, you know, talking about swimming all day, every day is, isn't actually easy. And, you know, it gets in your head quite a bit. So having TikTok or making little videos for me was my distraction away from the pool. Oh, that's brilliant. All right. Well, finally, I guess what I know it's hard to think of it right now. What's next? I mean, are you thinking Paris 2024? We are thinking that for you. Are you thinking that for you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, as soon as I stepped off the plane from Tokyo, you know, we started thinking about Paris and what we could do and what we could do better. So I definitely am going towards Paris for sure. Oh, that's so exciting. And how does that look? I mean, three years, obviously, you still, are you still at university as well? Yeah, I mean, I haven't studied, I didn't study this semester, just to give myself a bit of leeway around the Olympics. Um, but I still study part time, just to guess that's my distraction while I'm home, um, away from the pool, which was quite nice. Oh, that's really cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your journey. No doubt, a huge inspiration to others. Lewis Clearbert, thank you. Thank you very much for having me.